In this day and age, media, marketing, everybody has tried to convince the world that if you want paradise, then you should be sitting on a beach in Hawaii, enjoying and relaxing and doing nothing. This idea or this belief is something that many of us may have embraced over the years. Started to think if I want happiness, it must be relaxing and doing nothing. Avoiding anything that's difficult, avoiding anything that's troublesome. Something that is effortless. Our homes are usually equipped with Google Home or Alexa or various other ways to turn on the lights with a simple gesture or a simple voice command. And unfortunately that this idea that everything should be easy and there should be no struggle or effort whatsoever is very much against the very human experience that you and I are on. It wavers even from the very basic teachings of Islam. And that is precisely why this Eid, this particular Eid, emphasizes an element known as sacrifice. We may hear the term whenever we come to the mosque, but outside in the real world, you rarely hear the word sacrifice, hardship, difficulty, efforts, struggles. In fact, avoiding any hardship, anything difficult at all, is the goal and people feel that that is heaven. But what's interesting is that we believe heaven is not without effort. Meaning when you are in heaven, you're not going to be sitting around doing nothing. There's an element of, of progress, of development, of improvement, of work that is even tied into our heavens. When we go to heaven, we won't be sitting around doing nothing. There will be some pursuit of something greater. And why? The reason is because as the, as the creation that we are, God has created us to be driven by three things. The first is that we are social animals. You know, you can take a horse and tie him to a tree. As long as he has food, or, food and water, no problem. The horse will survive. But if you take a human being and tie him to a tree... Long before he doesn't have enough food and water, he'll probably just go mad. He'll go crazy. And that is exactly why that is something that drives us and that makes us different from the rest of the animals. Similarly, we're driven by progress and development. We enjoy the novelty, the new, the, the new features in something. For example, imagine many of you probably already possess an iPhone. And what is unique about the iPhone is every time one comes out, there's always another one with a new feature and a new gadget and a new something. But imagine for a moment, what if they just stopped? What if they stopped at iPhone 6? How many of us would look to buy the next one or to buy anyone? We'd probably give up on iPhone altogether and move on because we are innately driven by progress and development. And similarly, we're driven by goals. We are goal-oriented. I can give you any task, as useless as it may appear, as long as there's a goal at the end of it, you will gladly do it. But if I give you the toughest task on the face of this earth, and I give you no goal associated with it, it'll be frustrating. It'll feel aimless, and you'll probably give up. Your willpower will not let you sustain long enough to see the end of that work. These are the three things 
that drive us. Over the years, I've been seeing an uptick in this idea that let's avoid anything, any effort, any hardship, anything at all. We have been driven or driven closer towards this concept of laziness. Sitting around doing nothing. Just imagine for a moment, take, take a, a person who is tasked with moving boxes from one room to the other. He is tasked with moving 10 boxes, one at a time. If I tell this person that at the end of the 10th box, please take one more, the 11th box, he will have no problem taking it. Easy. I did 10, I can do the 11th. But a person who is sitting around all day long doing nothing, if you ask them to move a single box, it's nearly impossible. Why on earth would I get up and move? Why on earth would I leave this comfort zone? This is the inertia that sometimes, not sometimes, but our society is putting us in. Idea of just sitting around doing nothing. And that is exactly why prayers seem to be so difficult. They register in our minds, how on earth could I do prayers? Think about the man who's moving the boxes. If somebody's already doing five daily prayers and I ask him to do sunnah prayers, that's easy. I'm already doing five. I can add a few more. Somebody who's doing five daily prayers and doing sunnah prayers, I ask them to do nafal or tahajjud, easy. I'm already doing so many prayers, I can add a few more. But somebody who doesn't pray at all, and I call them and I say, please come for tahajjud, they will look at me like I'm mad. And that is exactly what we sometimes see. We have these beautiful goals that are very tangible, very doable. But there's a belief that's holding us back. That's the belief I wanted to address today and hopefully be able to change some minds by the end of the sermon. And that is that there is happiness in effort, happiness in struggle. Another example, cleaning the mosque. You'll notice many of us will probably go and have some samosa after this. But what will happen? You'll drop a cup and a hundred people will walk over that cup but not a single person will actually reach over to pick it up. We'll assume somebody is hired to pick it up later on. But have we forgotten the hadith of the Holy Prophet Muhammad who said that even if you pick up a single particle from the ground, it removes one sin. This morning I walked around to do a quick overview and make sure everything was set up. Alhamdulillah, everything was set up well. But I did notice there was quite a number of chairs added to the lady's side. More than I'm comfortable seeing. But I can only assume that everybody is on the chairs as they need to be. But what if there is somebody there who's sitting there simply because of comfort? Because it's easier. Why would I trouble myself of prostrating on the floor? Remember, this is what the Christians went down. This, really, this rabbit hole. Christians used to pray like Jesus with their forehead on the floor. Embracing all the elements of prayer, enjoying it truly. But long, lo, lo and behold, nowadays you go to a church and you'll be astonished. They're not only sitting on chairs, they're singing, they're dancing. They don't even know the way Jesus prayed. We are blessed. Again, are we pursuing laziness? Are we pursuing this avoidance of any hardship or toil? Many of us cannot drive to the mosque even if it's 10 to 15 minutes away. It seems hard, as I mentioned. If you haven't come to the mosque in six months, or a year, or even a whole month, then yes, if I call you and I say, come to the mosque every day, it sounds like it's 
an absurd request. How on earth could I do that? And yet many of us will drive to the grocery store every other day, which is 20, 30 minutes away, sometimes work. Sometimes we're working virtually and we can easily come to the mosque. All of those things are sometimes there because in the back of our mind we have this belief that we need to take it easy and we need to relax. But that isn't where you will find happiness at the end of that tunnel. Similarly, sometimes we invite our friends for a davat, for an invitation, which are good. But we tend to invite only those who speak the same language, have the same likes and dislikes. Why? Because it's just inconvenient. It's difficult to have to introduce or translate for somebody else or to make the environment for somebody else, comfortable for somebody else. These are all things that we've slowly established as our norm, as something that we take easy. Similarly, our Jamaat meetings. We have our Jamaat meetings regularly. Many folks do not attend them. And you ask why? It's just difficult. How could I come? Why would I come? And they forget that there's a hadith of the Holy Prophet Muhammad wasallam, who said that there was few people sitting and talking about God. And there was a passerby who just happened to overhear them and sat down. And immediately at that very moment, the angels descended and they noted down their names and they took it back to God Almighty. And God Almighty said, those who are sitting there remembering me, forgive them their sins. And the angels said, but there was one who wasn't part of them. He was just walking by. And God Almighty said, forgive them too. That is how blessed a meeting is whenever it is embraced or whenever it's bound or found, founded on the remembrance of God. So today is the Eid of sacrifice. It's to teach us the true purpose of Islam. Islam is about moderation. As I mentioned to you already, there's three things that we're driven by. Our social lives. Well, that's why we have prayer not only individually at home. You know, if you ask anybody in this Western world about spirituality, they'll tell you it's a personal spiritual journey. But Islam says, no, we're social animals. We will have a social spiritual journey. That is why we get together for congregational prayer. That's why we pray together. Somebody who works out at home, at the gym, or versus home is very different, vastly different. The synergy at the gym makes you pull a few more reps, do a few more push-ups, just a little bit more. And that's exactly why we come to the mosque. When we come to the mosque and we see a group like this, it gives us all energy, positive energy that we direly need. So the more of us that come, the more energy, positive energy we can give one another. Similarly, the second thing we're driven by is progress and development. Promised Messiah Islam has countlessly said, always look at your yesterday. Make sure that your today is better than your yesterday. Look towards that progress in your own spirituality, in your own journey. That is the key here, making sure that you are better today than you were yesterday. And similarly, we are goal-oriented. And the promised Messiah says, even the music that we listen to and we enjoy, we are in search of the true beloved, which is God Almighty. Whatever you listen to, whatever you do, you feel love towards it. That love is just an ounce of the love we have for God Almighty. That's who we're looking for. That's why we have countless multi-billionaires and millionaires who are running around looking to fill that void. But they can't. Well, you and I are blessed. We have nothing and we can fill that void. Why? Because that void can only be filled when you search for Allah Almighty. Today is Eid al-Azha. It is an Eid that is linked to the Hajj. 
As we are sitting here today, there are millions of people who are at the Hajj right now. While the rest of us billion are joined in this Eid. It is an amazing, magnificent truth of Islam, of the Holy Prophet Muhammad The whole world sacrifices together for the greater good. We sacrifice meat, we distribute it into threes. But the question you might ask yourself, why sacrifice an animal? Well, is to remind ourselves the importance of sacrificing the animal within us. To leave the animalistic nature and to go towards an elevated and exalted nature. So here's what we always do every Eid al-Adha. We talk about that famous story. So I want to address that today as well. This is how the story goes. That Ibrahim salam was over 80 years old. And he made a prayer, Rabbi Habli min as-salihin. Allah grant me a righteous child. Allah blessed him with his first son, Ishmael. And shortly after he was born, he saw a dream. A dream where he's sacrificing him. And there were other instances, other indications that brought him to the understanding of this dream that it meant I must take my wife and my infant born to the valley in the middle of the desert. This was the place that this dream implied. And so he took them all the way to the valley of Mecca. And when he left, when he was about to leave, his wife simply turned to him and asked, Why are you doing this? What are you doing this? What's going on? Why are you leaving us here? And he was a very tender-hearted, loving husband. He could not even muster the courage to respond with his own voice. And so he merely pointed to the sky. And that was enough for his wife. She said, go, don't worry. If it is Allah's will, then we will be okay. Nothing for you to worry about. Now food runs out, water runs out, and the baby is crying. And any mother would be shocked as to what to do. And so, Hazrat Hajra began running up to a mountain called Safa to look to see if she could see any caravan that might be passing by, it might have food and nourishment or water of some sort. But she didn't see anybody. So she turned around and ran back to the baby to see that the baby was okay. Then she ran up Marwa, another mountain on the other side to see, again, if there was any caravan in the distance. And she did this seven times. Eventually, God Almighty told her, go back to the baby. I have provided for you. And when she returned to the baby, she saw that the water was moist. As she began to dig, the water began to come out so profusely that she started to say, zam, zam, stop, stop. And that is where the famous water that we know of today is called zamzam. Now we know that water gives life to civilization. So now, this became the beginning of a new town, a new city, a new village. It began to develop. Twelve or thirteen years later, 
In fact, during these 12 and 13 years, Hazrat Ibrahim salam continued to have this dream. He thought it was fulfilled. He thought it was done. I've moved them where Allah, you desire for them to go. They've established themselves there. They've survived. Oh Allah, why do I keep seeing this dream? But he doesn't go right away to an infant child or to a toddler or to a child who has no sense and just sacrifice him. He waits. He said, I will wait for him to be old enough for him to make the decision. So when he is 12 or 13 years old, he goes back to Hazrat Ishmael. And this is the conversation that he has. Ya Bunaya inni ara fil manami anni azbahuka. Oh my dear son, I have seen in a dream that I am slaughtering thee. Fanzur ma'azatara. So consider what thou thinkest of it. What do you think? And this child, of course, is a blessed child. He says, Ya Abati, O oh my father. Ya Abatif al Matomar Satajiduni, inshallah, min as O my father, <clears throat> do as thou art commanded. You will find me, inshallah, if Allah pleases, of those who are patient. Full trust in his father. This is friendship. When the father and the son trust each other, love each other, and know exactly where they're coming from. There's no malice or vengeance or hatred there. They know where they're coming from. Allah Almighty says, Falamma aslama. And then they both submitted to the will of Allah. Aslama means they both did. They both can imply both the son and the father, and it can also imply both parents embraced this outcome. Now we look at the three qualities, the three people, the individuals here that are mentioned. It's important for us to understand who they were and what sacrifice they were really making. Were they uneducated? Were they unaware of what they're about to do? The first is Allah Almighty says, Allah blessed him with the good news of a forbearing child, Halim. Hazrat Ishmael's characteristic was Halim. What is Halim? The ability to withstand trials and difficulties. Exactly what we're talking about today. A child who can handle getting up and doing something. And not lazy, not avoiding any hardship, not avoiding any difficulties. Able to, not only able to, willing to. Islam doesn't want us to think laziness or without any struggle we can achieve anything in this world or in the spiritual world. In fact, the promised Messiah has said, and it's a very long quote, but I'll paraphrase. He says, many of us struggle every day, whether it's an investment you make, whether it's work you do every day, nine to five, you're working hard. He said, we all have this passion to work very hard for worldly gain, of which we have no guarantee. We have no idea if we're ever going to get something back from this. Sometimes we'll work for years. We'll invest in somebody or some person for years. With no idea if there will ever be a return in this investment. And he says, but many of those people fail. He said, there's many children who, because of lack of exams even, they've studied hard and they were not able to pass. They don't even find their lives to be important enough to continue. 
But he says, but Allah promises us in the Holy Quran, anyone who strives in Allah's way will not fail, period. If you make a small effort towards Allah, you will see its return, guaranteed. There's no doubt about it. Whatever effort you make, it will be blessed. Allah says, if you walk towards me, it will run towards you. But the question is whether or not we are embracing that idea. Are we making that first effort, that first step? Or are we sitting around and relaxing? Secondly, فَلَمَّا أَسْلَمَا وَتَلَّهُ لِلْجَبِينَ The second part of this is that both submitted and then he threw him on his forehead or he placed him on his forehead. Here's an interesting part that reveals the father. He was very tender-hearted. He was not what you think. This, you know, people think that he may have been this very harsh father. No, he was full of so much love that he could not even face his own son. So he placed him on his forehead. So that whatever he was about to do before God, one, his son should not see his father's eyes and he would not be able to fathom the idea of seeing his own son while he would do the deed. But how are the fathers we see today in the Western world, even those who come from the East, some of them don't embrace or show any love whatsoever to their children. They don't make any effort to show that tenderness. They're always very harsh-hearted. To what end? What are they going to get out of it? Our beloved Hazrat Khalifatul Masih al-Khamis, Ayyad al-Talab bin Asajid has constantly said, befriend your children, be best friends with them. They should trust you. They should be able to confide with you any of their secrets or issues or problems. If we all recall the hadith of the Holy Prophet Muhammad wasallam, where he was sitting with a man who was telling him of the time of Jahaliyyah, of the ignorance era, when he says, I went to bury my own daughter and I placed her in the grave or in the, in the, in the ground and I was placing sand and she reached out to hold my hand and he had no pain whatsoever. <clears throat> and while he was doing this, the Holy Prophet Muhammad was weeping like a waterfall from his eyes. And then we have, of course, Qad Sadaqta Roya. After all of this was done, Allah Almighty says, Your dream has been fulfilled. Do not actually kill him. It's done. You both have submitted. I now know you are committed. You are ready to sacrifice your lives. You moved there. You've established. You've done everything that needs to be done. Your dream has been fulfilled. But let's not forget the immense sacrifice a wife and a mother Hazrat Hajra had to make. First, she was left in a barren land with her infant child, simply knowing that it's from Allah. Imagine the sacrifice she had to spend knowing that her food and her ration and her water is going down and there's only limited left for the child. What will happen next? This is her only child. What pain she must have gone through. But look at how Allah blesses even the smallest effort. This was of course a great effort. So great that every single Muslim today retraces her every step that she made on the mountain of Safa and the mountain of Marwa. If you go to Umrah today, they have lights there. They will tell you where to run. 
because that's where Hazrat Hajra ran. Where to walk, because that's where that woman ran, walked. It is an example that each and every one of us has to follow. Billions of Muslims have done that trail, done that path, because it was in order to honor the sacrifice that she made on that very day. Again, she had to let her only child go to the slaughterhouse. What mother would be able to do that who didn't believe in God, who didn't believe in the hereafter, didn't believe in a higher power? Not to say that human slaughter is allowed at all. We know that it wasn't. This was in fact the best way that Allah Almighty could eliminate it from the entire world. To give that example that when they went to slaughter a human, Allah said, no, it will not happen. Ending all human sacrifice that existed in all those vast, strange religions of the past. But imagine, she did this, and now every year, billions of Muslims will remember her name, remember her story, remember her sacrifice, all living or trying to live up to that example. To give you an example of another mother, the mother of Moses. She's also mentioned in the Holy Quran, and we know that Allah Almighty told her to also place her son in the river, and that the child would go somewhere far off, but at that point, Allah also said that your, his sister, Musa sister, your daughter can go and walk with him. See where he is going, see where he ends up. But Hazahajah did not have that. She had no idea that her son would return to her safe and sound. Allah Almighty says, That surely was a manifest trial. I want you to remember something. Each and every one of us has a difficulty. Every one of us faces difficulties. But it is how we respond to that difficulty that makes the difference. When a difficulty comes upon you, if you go closer to Allah Almighty, it is merely a trial. But when a difficulty comes upon you and you discard Allah, you distance yourself from Allah, then know that it is a punishment. Now, all of this links back to the essence of this Eid to train us and make us ever more ready for sacrificing our souls. As you know the example of the Holy Prophet Muhammad wasallam, the Sahaba also sacrificed a great deal. Hazrat Abu Bakr, you know of his financial sacrifice, his sacrifice, he was the first person to announce Islam in the Kaaba and was beat almost to death. So many things he sacrificed. But Allah blessed him, rewarded him so much that when he became the Khalifa, Many of you might think that he, of course he was a Khalifa. We know how great he was. But the world at the time didn't know. Didn't know how amazing he was. We look back in the history, you forget. Because when he became the Khalifa, his own father marveled. That my son, he has become the Khalifa. And in response to this, he said, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. He reclaimed his belief in Islam that day. He said, how could that tribe follow my son? How could that tribe accept him as a leader? How could they accept him as a leader? All because again, it's righteousness, taqwa. Allah blesses whom He pleases, those who sacrifice the most. But there are other instances. Don't expect that just because you are coming to the mosque, you will now get blessed in one way or another. The blessing will come in different ways. The blessing will come either in this life, the next life, the next generation, Allah knows, but do it for the sake of being closer to Allah. I'll give you an example of Hazrat Musa bin Umair. He was very young and he was filthy rich. He had so much wealth, it was beyond imagination. He had 
clothes upon clothes at the time when you could barely buy one cloth. He had a whole set of clothing. He had money, wealth, the love of his mother. But one day he heard the Holy Prophet Muhammad speak the truth about life, sacrifices, giving your way for Allah. And so he embraced Islam and lost every single thing. His mother disowned him. He lost his wealth, his money, all of his clothing. He had nothing left. He had, he was, it's that story of riches to rags for the sake of Allah. And he's sitting there with nothing at all. And in that instance, even the Holy Prophet Muhammad wasallam, marveled. But what was his end? When he died in battle, the Sahaba brought his body before the Holy Prophet Muhammad wasallam, and said, we do not have a long enough cloth to cover him from head to toe. We can either cover his head or we can cover his toes. What should we do? Prophet said, cover his head and put grass where his toes are, or when his feet are. This was a sacrifice made by those Sahaba. And you and I are supposed to relive those sacrifices. So we want to be able to delete this idea in our minds that relaxation is what we want. We want progress. We want improvement. We want efficiency. We want all these things that make us better human beings. We want to excel spiritually. All of that can happen when we start making efforts towards it. Otherwise, we will see no end. The promised Messiah has said beautifully, and I'll read the original text first, is two or three small quotes, inshallah. He says, Is sahulat aur aram ke zamane mein hansi khushi se eid hoti hai. Aur eid ki intaha hansi khushi aur kism kism ke taishat karar diye gaye hain. Aurte isi roz tamam zaivarat pehenti hain. Umda se umda kapde zeb tan karti hain. Mard umda poshake pehente hain. Aur umda se umda khane baham pohunchate hain. Aur yeh aisa musarrat aur rahat ka din samjha jata hai. Ke bakheel se bakheel insaan bhi aaj gosht khata hai. He says these physical sacrifices are not the essence. They are merely the shell. They are not the spirit. They are merely the body. In this era of ease and comfort, Eid is celebrated happily with joy. People believe that the ultimate purpose of the celebration is nothing but enjoyment and diverse forms of indulgence. It is on this day that women fully adorn themselves with jewelry and wear their most beautiful clothes. Men wear elegant attire and arrange for the finest foods and even miserly people look to eat meat. He further says, مَگر آج غور کر کے دیکھو کہ بجوز ہنسی اور خوشی اور لاہب و لاہب کے روحانیت کا کونسا حصہ باقی ہے یہ عید الاضحہ پہلی عید سے بڑھ کر ہے اور عام لوگ بھی اس کو بڑی عید کو تو کہتے ہیں مگر سوچ کر بتلاؤ کہ عید کی وجہ سے کس قدر ہیں جو اپنے تذکے نفس اور تفسیح قلب کی طرف متوجہ ہوتے ہیں اور روحانیت سے حصہ لیتے ہیں اور اس روشنی اور نور کو لینے کی کوشش کرتے ہیں جو اس اضحاں میں رکھا گیا ہے He says, but now reflect. Except for fun and enjoyment, entertainment and amusement, what has remained of spirituality? This Eid al-Adha is greater than the Eid that precedes it. And people generally refer to this as the greater Eid as well. But reflect and do tell me how many people as a result of this Eid 
are actually moved to purify their soul, cleanse their heart, partake of spirituality, and endeavor to absorb the radiance, the light that is present in this time of brightness. And finally, he says, Or jaise tum apne haath se ziba karte ho, isi tum bhi khuda ki ziba ho jao. He says, as just as you sacrifice animals with your own hands, in the same manner, you should sacrifice yourselves in the way of Allah. Do we remember the prayer of the Holy Prophet Muhammad wasallam? What he made when he was taking the Sahaba to that famous battle of Badr? He said, Oh Allah, they are barefoot. Grant them riding animals. They are unclothed. Grant them clothes. They are hungry. Satiate them. They are in straitened circumstances. Grant them wealth by your grace. And we know Allah blessed every single one of them. And they returned victorious. So the take home message for today. Is be ready to sacrifice for your faith. Pray five times a day in congregation. That is your sacrifice. Wake up for tahajjud and fajr. That is your sacrifice. Give zakat, sadqa and chanda to purify your wealth. That is your sacrifice. Befriend your children. Teach them about Ahmadiyyat with your words and actions. That is your sacrifice. Preach to your friends and colleagues, telling them about the true essence of God. That is your sacrifice. And of course, embrace the faith. Purify your souls because that is your sacrifice. If we don't, rest assured, Allah will bring another that will. Today our brothers and sisters in Pakistan are barred from sacrificing animals for this Eid. They're barred from praying the Eid prayer. They're barred from following any example of the Holy Prophet Muhammad So that's why I plead to you today, when they stop others from embracing the message of the Holy Prophet Muhammad let us step forward and show the world what the true example of the Prophet is. Let's strive to live by that example. May Allah help us to do so. Alhamdulillahi na'hmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'ufiruhu wa nu'minu bihi wa natawakkalu alayhi wa na'uzu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyati a'malina man yahdihillahu falamudhilla lahu wa man yudhlilhu falahadiyala wa nashadu wa la ilaha illallahu wa nashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluh Ibadallahi rahimukum Allah inna Allah ya'muru bil 'adli wal ihsani wa ita'i zil qurba wa yanhanil fahsha'i wal munkari wal baghy ya'idukum la'allakum tazakkarun uzkurullaha yazkurukum wa duhu yastajib lakum wa la zikrullahi akbar